The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 20, 20 through 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be, Praise to, be to Christ. Thank you, Charlene. Appreciate it. Uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Christ Prez. Uh, my name is Scott. If we haven't met, if you're a guest today, we're one of three locations for Christ Prez. We also have uh, congregations meeting every Sunday morning uh, the Music Row area at Scarrett Bennett and also in Cool Springs. But uh, so glad you came here uh, to one of our Old Hickory uh, uh, services today. And uh, today, as it's already been mentioned, uh, is Mother's Day, in case you were not aware of that. Uh, if your mothers live out of town, uh, it's not too late to send her a video or something on your phone. Technology can help you. Uh, but uh, listen, one of the things I really appreciated about Jillian's prayer is uh, a few moments ago is that she acknowledged that uh, the subject uh, of, of mothering uh, brings all, all kinds of mixed feelings. And, you know, I think, you know, we can all celebrate mothering uh, and motherhood because we wouldn't exist without it, right? Uh, everybody here has uh, a, a mother, and the world wouldn't exist, or at least human beings wouldn't exist without moms. Um, but this is a day of mixed feelings. Uh, there's rapture and there's rupture, there's, there's joy and there's sorrow, uh, all in the same room and in sanctuaries all over the world, or at least all over the world that celebrates Mother's Day today. Uh, on the positive side, uh, New York Times columnist David Brooks uh, said uh, in something that he wrote recently, mothers shape their kin with extraordinary power. In other words, a mother is extremely influential. We see this e even in the Bible where, uh, you know, the young protege of the Apostle Paul, Timothy, says that he learned the Scriptures from his mother and his grandmother. Uh, he became the man that he did, uh, largely due to their mentoring from his early uh, years in life. Uh, Brooks goes on to say that the greatest leaders, many of the greatest leaders in the history of the world and many of the greatest influencers in the history of the world have a common thread running through all of them, and that is that so many of them had steady, invested mothers. Uh, and so today is a day uh, to honor that kind of mothering in the way that mothers have loved, nurtured, advocated for, taught, empowered their children. 
Uh, but it's also a day to recognize and to lament uh, that there is a lot of pain and sorrow around uh, the mothering story for many people. Scripture recognizes this. Uh, there's actually a psalm, the 27th psalm, that I think is especially in there for those who, who grieve the mother's story, where David talks about how his mother and his father had forsaken him and how he had to lean on God to, to, to be what his father and mother uh, were not for him. Uh, and, uh, you know, others have wounds from a child going astray, from unspeakable loss and bereavement, uh, and, and so on. Uh, but what we have in front of us this morning is a picture of a mother who is sort of mixed. Uh, she's got great desires and ambitions and hopes for her kids, uh, but she has the wrong application uh, of what that means, especially in the world and the economy of God and what it means for them to have God as their father and Jesus as their, as their elder brother and so on. And so, so she approaches Jesus, and, and Jesus preempts her uh, and says, what do you want? What do you want? What is your desire? What are your hopes and dreams? How do you want me to serve you? And then she answers, and after she answers, he tells her what she should want for her kids and, and also tells her two boys what they should want in a mother. So, I want to say three things, and th this applies not only to moms and dads biologically, but also spiritual moms and dads, those who pour into people younger than them. This applies to people who are coaches, teachers, mentors, instructors, uh, and so on. What ought our influence to be on those who are generationally behind us? Jesus demonstrates and teaches essentially three things that I can pull out of this text. Number one, strong is even better than safe. Number two, Playing fair is even better than taking advantage. And then number three, holiness is even better than happiness. If we ever are in a situation where we have to choose between those potentially competing realities. And so let's start first with the strong part. Strong is even better than safe. So the mother's answer to Jesus' question, what do you want? She says, I want these two sons of mine to sit at your right hand and at your left hand in your kingdom, in your glory. And it's interesting that, that, that Jesus then speaks not just to her in response, but in the plural, using y'all language. And he says, can y'all drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And, and I'll, I'll get to that. But, but, but he basically redirects from the mother to the sons, indicating that the actual question originated with James and John, and they put their mom up to it. Can you go ask him for us? And there are a lot of reasons why they might not want to be the ones to ask this question, this kind of question to Jesus. I mean, the other 10 disciples are sitting there and they're like, seriously, you guys? Really? You, what makes you more special than the rest of us? And it, it says that the other 10 are indignant. One in particular among those 10, Peter, should have felt really stung by this, right? Because... Um, if you look at the history of Jesus with his disciples, he has his, 12, he has his 72, he has his 12, and then he has his inner ring of three, which are Peter, James, and John. And so by this question, Peter is actually getting boxed out. Um, 
you know, like, like students would, be able, would, would tell you, like junior high and elementary and high school students would tell you, one of the, one of the ways that, that, that students bully each other these days is they cut each other out of Instagram pictures to send a message, you don't belong with us. That's like one major bullying strategy. Uh, and it's passive aggressive, it's mean, uh, but, but it very visibly boxes somebody out and says, you're not part of the group. And that's what's happening to Peter. The other thing is that they forget about how Jesus has, de- has demonstrated his supremacy, that he is the only glorious one, and that nobody gets to share his glory. And that should have become clear to these two brothers at, at the transfiguration. Okay, so Peter and James and John, let's rewind a little bit in their history. They get a vision like nobody had ever had of, 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 of the future of Jesus, where he's radiant, he's glorious, the holiness of God is shining off of him. It's almost blinding to look at him uh, like it would be to look at the sunshine. And it says that Elijah and Moses appeared into the picture, you know, the two great prophets of the Old Testament days. And, and the disciples, the three disciples, Peter, James, and John said, Lord, we should build tents. We should build three of them, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. And, Jesus, uh, and, and, and down comes a, a voice from heaven through a cloud, the voice of God saying, no, 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 this one, he's my son, listen to him. Even Moses and Elijah do not belong at his level, okay? So, they should have had some memory of that, one of the most formative, at least it should have been one of the most formative experiences of their lives. And then Jesus is teaching uh, the 72, right? After the 72 disciples come back from a journey where they've healed all kinds of diseases, where they've cast out demons, where they've preached the gospel and people have been converted to the faith and, and put their trust in Jesus Christ. And, and they come to Jesus and they say, wow, we, 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 we have so much power. We, we have so much influence. We, we're crushing it, Lord. And, and, and Jesus said, don't rejoice in that. You want want to know what power is? You know what glory is? You want to know what greatness is? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I am the powerful one, right? You're not at my level. So, your delusions of grandeur about that, set them aside and rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's where your your joy should be. Okay, so they've, they've already been exposed to all this, and twice already in this gospel, Jesus has told them that his ultimate mission is the cross, dying for the sake of his enemies. And, 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 and Jesus has also told them, if you want to be with me, if you want to follow after me, if you want to share in all that is of me, you too have to deny yourself daily, take up your cross, and follow me. And what James and John are asking through their mother is to be the exception to the rule. Lord, we want glory without the path that's required of other people to get there. We want a participation trophy without having to participate. We don't want to break a sweat, but we do want the trophy. We want the crown of Christ without the cross of Christ. We want the fame of Christ without the humiliation of Christ. We want the resurrection of Christ without the death of Christ. Just give us Easter and let's bypass Good Friday, at least the two of us, okay? Also at play here is the natural maternal 
impulse that, 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 that any loving mother is going to feel for her children. She wants them safe, and so she stands between them and, and the potential criticism of Jesus and the potential criticism of the other disciples and, and puts herself in criticism's way, right, by asking something that they want her to ask. She's protecting them, and that's what a caring mother, that's a huge part of what a caring mother does is she protects, even in the same way that Jesus has this protective impulse about him. He says, I've longed to, to gather you under my wings like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. He's a, he's a nurturer and a protector and a, a safety giver, right? And, 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 and so, for, for the maternal instinct in this mother to want to protect her boys is a function of the image of God in her, but here's part of the message back to her. If your boy's safety is the only thing, or even if it's the main thing that you want for them, then your vision for them is too small. And so, he turns to them, it's in verse 22, and says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And the cup is a word, that it's, it's idiomatic for suffering and death and blood. And the two sons, James and John, just sort of casually say, yep, we can, we're in. So Jesus proceeds in front of their mom and the rest and says, right answer. In fact, you will drink the cup. But the position on my right hand and my left, that's not mine to give. That only belongs to the Father in heaven. This is a parental gut check for me. Um, I mean, if you have teenagers, you know what this feeling is, like the first time that you actually say the car is yours to drive, like the very first time. It's terrifying when you're, they got the learner's permit and you're in the car. It's even scarier when you say, here are the keys, goodbye. You know, keep, you know, find my iPhone location services on. Um, you know, we've done that with both of our daughters. They're both still with us. We're thankful for that. Um, our oldest is going to the Middle East by herself this summer for two months. A little terrified about that and proud of her all at the same time. But this, is, this kind of teaching is a parental gut check for me. I don't, I don't know about you. Because I, I've been praying all of my kids' life that they would know Jesus Christ and they would know Him deeply. But you have to, in order for them to, 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 to know Jesus Christ, you have to pray the prayer of Paul, the whole prayer. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering. How many of us have prayed this for our children? I pray, Lord, that my kids will know the fellowship of sharing in your suffering. They cannot know Christ without knowing that. They will not know Christ without knowing that. They may be safe and cozy, but they will not be strong and virtuous. See, we have to lean into the gut check here. Christ's priority for my kids is not that they be rich and enriched and emotionally safe. His priority is that they be poor in spirit, faithful with their lives, and emotionally strong. You ever seen the movie Ray? It's about Ray Charles as a kid, and, and you know, pictures the mother-child relationship there. 
Ray Charles is going blind as a young boy, right? And he, he's at a point where in, in the movie where he is blind, and he's probably about, you know, eight to ten years old. He falls down in the middle of the room, and he's groping around, and he doesn't, he's not aware that his mother is on the other side of the room watching the whole thing. He, he, he thinks he's alone. He's groping, trying to figure out how to stand back up, confused, not really knowing how to move forward because he's blind. He's lost his eyesight. And you can see the mother is wrestling because she's got these tears, and, and her impulse is to go, go help him, go pick him up off the ground, but, but, but she, she stays, and she stays silent and she lets him wrestle, and she lets him fight because she knows that he will never flourish. He will never be able to walk in the dark if she keeps coming to his rescue. He has to become strong in order to be safe in the world. You know, Van Jones is a a political commentator, and he uh, was interviewed at the University of Chicago in the past year or two about the concept of safe spaces on college campuses. Now, safe spaces is kind of a new concept. didn't exist when I was in college. It's everywhere now where, where there, there are actually spaces where you can go where people are not allowed to express ideas that hurt your feelings, that disagree with your ideo- ideology. I don't feel safe if you disagree with me politically, religiously, or otherwise, and therefore I'm going to go to these safe spaces. And Van Jones says he thinks this is a terrible idea. And he's a father, and, and here's, a, here's part of what he said. He said there are two ideas about safe spaces on college campuses. One is a very good idea, and one is terrible. The idea of being physically safe on a campus, I'm perfectly fine with that. But there's another view, the view that I need to be safe ideologically. I need to be safe emotionally. I just need to feel good all the time, and if someone says something I don't like, that's a problem for everybody else, including the administration. Van Jones says, that is a terrible idea. I do not want my children to be safe ideologically and emotionally. I want them to be strong. I'm not going to pave the jungle for you. Put on some boots and learn to deal with adversity. I'm not going to take all the weights out of the gym. That's the whole point of the gym. You can't live on a campus where people say stuff that you don't like, that this you cannot bear. You can't deal with a mean-spirited tweet. In the real world, this is not just useless, but obnoxious and dangerous. And he says, I want you to be offended every single day on your college campus. I want you to be deeply aggrieved and offended and upset. And the reason he gives is, I want you to be able to handle it. Because guess what? There's not going to be a safe place in your place of employment. Entitlement? They'll give you a box to pack your stuff. They will not stroke you and say, oh, I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings. Strong is even better than emotionally and ideologically safe. By the way, your kids will never really feel convicted about what they believe until somebody really pushes back and challenges it, and then they have to wrestle through it, right? So, okay, next one. Playing fair is even better than taking advantage. So, you know, the other ten disciples, they're indignant. Here's one of the other reasons why the commentaries say they're indignant. I didn't realize this until last week, but in all likelihood, the mother of James and John is also the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so, you've got a couple of cousins here 
pulling the family's strings for their own advantage, exploiting the family connection in order to get ahead. Now, now it's been all over the news recently, right? The, uh, the college scandals where you've got millionaire celebrity parents uh, essentially purchasing uh, admission for their children into universities that their children otherwise would not qualify uh, to, 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 to enter in as, as students and to enroll in. And there's been this massive outcry against these millionaire celebrity parents for, you know, stroking a you know, $500,000 check to, to get their kid, you know, into, into a college that the kid couldn't get into on their own. And, you know, there's outrage because, you know, these kids who didn't work harder are taking the spots of kids who did. And it's all because of money and power and name recognition and privilege, and that's not fair. And I, I dealt with a tiny version of this when I was in, in sixth grade, which was my last year of playing baseball. So every team had three pitchers, and I was the third best pitcher on the team, and the coach's son was the fourth best. And guess who got to pitch? And guess who didn't? It's easy for me and people like me to become irate about injustices that affect me, right? But then I have to ask the question, what about me? My kids and the community and the situation they grow in, grow up in, 90% chance they'll go to college. Five miles away from here, kids who grow up five miles away from here, 90% chance or more that they won't go to college. My kids have advantages that most kids do not. And I will use them in order to help my kids move forward. And I need not feel ashamed of that at all. Of course you use whatever advantage and resourcing you have to set your kids up for flourishing. That's not the issue here. Here's the issue. If charity does start at home, and it it does for all, I mean, let's just admit, we're more prone to take care of the people that we're related to than other people. There's some biblical warrant of that, you know, care for your own family and so on, and if you don't, then you're worse than an unbeliever and you deny the faith, right? So, so there is a place where, where it talks about caring for your own family, charity that starts at home. This isn't about that. This is about charity that ends at home. And a Christian does not have the luxury or the moral right to say that charity ends at home. We of all people in the world are called to do what is within our power to help level the playing field for other people's kids. Okay? And, and to, to, to increase, as far as it depends on us, the per- percentage chance that other kids who aren't born with the advantages that our kids have, have a better chance because of us and because they live in the same city as we do. What would it look like, I have to ask myself, to share the advantages that we have so that the tide can also potentially rise for other people's kids who don't have our advantages. I am personally thankful for a church that, 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 that puts special emphasis on, on kids with special needs for this purpose, helping them not only to have a good time, but also to, to get on a trajectory where they can have jobs, gainful employment, where they can serve actively and meaningfully in the local church and be part of a community and so on. 
I'm thankful to be part of a church that has missional communities that, that, that support people who do foster care and who adopt children, and missional communities that, that provide health care for children who cannot otherwise get health care, namely children of immigrants and refugees in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm very thankful to be part of a church that supports those efforts and that supports other efforts like scouts, which, which include not only kids with, with, you know, from a, you know, mom and dad, you know, nuclear family home, but single parenting home and, and homes where there's really unrest and difficulty. I, I'm thankful that we have missional communities that pour in like that and that, 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 that our support also includes support given to mothers recovering from addiction and from prostitution and from being incarcerated. Our church is behind all of that, and they're on ramps for you and for me and for our children to get involved. All you got to do is go to that table and ask, how do I get involved with this? Just pick one thing. Don't do it all. Pick one thing to help the tide rise for somebody else so charity doesn't stop at home. Because charity that starts and ends at home is not of Jesus. Charity that starts at home and continues out in the world, that's of Jesus. You know, even Jesus came first to the Jew, but then he went to the Gentile as well. Lastly, holiness is even better than happiness. And in fact, holiness is the pathway to sustained happiness. Of course, parents are going to want their kids to be happy. That's the image of God in the parents, to want your kids to be happy. You know, it says in Luke 11, what father in the world or what mother, what parent in the world, if your child asks you for a fish, you're going to give them a snake. Or if your child asks you for an egg, you're going to give them a scorpion. And Jesus goes on, if you being evil, he's saying this to his most devoted followers, he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, because that's the image of God in you, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts? And what's the good gift that Jesus identifies? Money? Job opportunities? Toys? Etc.? Those things are fine, but what he says is, here, you want to know what the supreme gift is? How much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The best thing you can ask God to give to your kids is the Holy Spirit. That spirit that reminds them of the nurturing, tender, <laughs> enveloping, protective arms of God, and that same spirit that also will come in their lives at times as a tornado to wreck everything that could eventually wreck them. Ah, the Holy Spirit. If that's what you want, then you want the best for your kids. What's the role of the Spirit? To direct us to Jesus, to His person, His work, and His mission. First and foremost, what He's done for you, that you may believe it, and then second, and right behind it, that you may go out and participate in His work in the world. Not because He needs you, because He wants you. And because He wants you to be happy. You know, New York Magazine came out with an article some time ago called Happiness 101. And interesting, you know, it was about you know, what they called the hedonic or hedonistic treadmill. And the conclusion from New York Magazine it's one of the most secular publications in the world. The conclusion was this, the more you put your own happiness first, the less happy you will be. The happiest people in the world 
pour into others. I wonder where that came from. Truly. That's the image of God in a journalist saying what is self-evident to every human being, whether you believe or not. What stories are we moved by? The sacrifice stories. We're, we're not moved and motivated to imitate somebody who's a selfish pig and a narcissist and says, I want the glory, and a self-promoter. We don't want to we don't admire that person. We admire the person who gives up glory and who gives up honor and who gives up resources and gives up privilege, right? That's who we admire. Why don't we raise our kids that way? Or why, why, why are we tempted not to raise our kids that way? I don't want to say why don't we because so many of you are raising your kids that way in a faithful way. But Jesus' messages to the mother here is you're settling for too little. You're asking for too little. You're saying to your kids, whatever you want, sweetheart, instead of saying whatever God wants. You're saying whatever makes you happy, sweetheart, instead of whatever makes you holy. That's what I want to give you. You should be saying, you want honor, son? Then become honorable. You want nobility? Then become noble. You want to become great, then be great. The Gentiles, Jesus says, this is how the world operates, this is how the world thinks, and, and you're breathing in the world's secondhand smoke right now, and I'm going to help you get that secondhand smoke out of your lungs so that you can breathe clear. The Gentiles want power. The Gentiles lord it over. The Gentiles want to be first. Not so with you. If you want to be great, then be a servant. If you want to be first, then be a slave to everyone, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Rick Warren, pastor out in California, wrote uh, one of the best-selling books in my lifetime, and it's best-selling among Christians, and it's best-selling among those who don't identify as Christian. It's a book called The Purpose driven life. Just that title, I think, taps into what every human heart longs for, purpose. And the first sentence of that book, which ought to be one of the most liberating things we ever hear, is, it's not about you. It's not about you. You know, the only picture that the Bible gives us of two men one on the right hand and one on the left hand side of Jesus in his glory is the thieves on the cross. You ever thought about that? The apex of the glory of Jesus Christ is the cross of Jesus Christ where you've got this heroic, perfect, holy man of God giving his life for his enemies. Be careful what you wish for. If you want your boys at my right and at my left in my glory, if that's what you want for yourself, then you've got to die alongside me. You've got to lay down your life. And, and the other striking detail about the thieves on the cross, we don't know their names. We don't know their names. And we're not meant to know their names because Jesus isn't asking for three tents, just one tent at the transfiguration, just one at the cross, just one tree that you look toward. One tent, one tree. You know, I heard a preacher say last week 
The purpose of my life is to love God, love my neighbor, preach the gospel, and be forgotten. That's the purpose of my life. James and John eventually came around to this way of thinking. James and John eventually did drink the cup. You know, James is recorded in the Scriptures as the first apostle to go down for his faith. He was the first apostolic martyr who died for his faith. John also died later in life while in prison on a remote island called Patmos, put there because of his faith. But before John died, Jesus had a job for John to do. And as John beheld Jesus in his glory with one man to his left and one man to his right on the cross, Jesus spoke from his glory to this man who once asked for one of those positions, not knowing what he was asking for. Here's how you can participate in my glory. My mother, she's yours now. You take care of her. He's the only one of the 12 disciples whose life was preserved from martyrdom. I think I know why. Because mamas matter. And acts of service and becoming the slave of all will make you glorious. It's counterintuitive, but it's so liberating. Our purpose in life to love God, love neighbor, preach the gospel, and be forgotten. And isn't that what all the good mothers do? Because they know it's not about them. Isn't that what they've taught us, the good mothers? That it's not about them. It's about something bigger. This will make you happy. It will make you holy too. Like Lewis said, aim at heaven and you you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Let's ask for big things, not small ones. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you uh, that you are not only a paternal God to us, you are also a maternal God to us. I thank you for the way that David had insight in, in the 27th Psalm when he talked about how his mother and father had forsaken him. He then proceeded to talk about how you, Lord, had filled the void that had been left there. Thank you that whatever voids might reside within us, you can fill those voids too. And and how wonderful that, that we now get to approach a table where you feed us and fill our bellies uh, like, like a good mother and father would want to do for their children. And you also serve us a cup Because you say to us today, even as you said to James and John, my cup is for you to drink as well. And it's a cup that's there to refresh you, and it's also a cup that will call you and require you to lay down your life. And in this, you shall be free. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.